It is actually one of the passages that I did not want to preach uh, for various reasons. One of the reasons why I did not want to preach is because this passage that we just looked at is very, it may come off as very archaic. Meaning that, oh, that's like submitting, like all this old school stuff. That's what back then people do. We live in 21st century. We don't need to do all that submission stuff. It's just sound bad. And so I was struggling, should I really preach on this? But uh, it happens that First Peter leads us to here. Another reason why I, I didn't want to preach on this is because some of you might find this irrelevant. In fact, most of you will find this irrelevant because uh, as, as far as I can count on my fingers right here, I think we have less than 10 people here that are married, that are either husband or wives. So I'm not only speaking to those 10 people, but I'm actually speaking to all of you, unless there's something you need to tell me. That you're, 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 you're somehow a husband and wife, I didn't know. Then we can talk after the sermon, okay? Uh, come talk to me in my office. Um, there's also, uh, I think some of you might think that this is just an unpopular topic. Like, who talks about marriage in this way? Not in the news. Not among your friends. Not among uh, the people in this world. Like, this submission idea, if you have to sum up the whole sermon, I'll give you right now. It's going to be wives submit Husband lead. Wife submit, husband lead. And the first hear of that, it can easily be very offensive. If you don't know what, what the Bible really talks about submission in this, mar- in this uh, picture of a marriage, why wife submit and how husband lead. Uh, I liken it to like uh, uh, cooking. I love cooking. Um, you, in order to make a good food, you, in order to make a good dish, what you need is good ingredients. You cannot just go and grab some like random ingredients that are old and expect to make this dish to be amazing. You want a good dish, you need to get fresh ingredient, right ingredient. You cannot go like, I just need some pepper, but in fact, it's actually asking for bell pepper, not habanero pepper, and expect the dish to not be spicy. Right? So we need to have the right pieces in mind and, and from the scripture for us to understand why the scripture calls us. In fact, Peter instructs us. For those of us who are wives to submit, for those of us husband to lead. Um, this, this phrase, well, I would like for you to remember for the rest of this sermon is this. Equal, but different. So go say to the neighbor, equal, but different. Make sure they hear it. If they're sleeping, make sure you let them know. Equal, but different. This is going to be the phrase that will help you to understand what Peter is saying here. Now, I have two tools here. These are real tools. Uh, I like to buy tools. I have a lot of tools at home, not because I'm handy, because I just want to make myself feel better, that I look handy. So this is a real tool. See, I don't even know how to turn this on. So this is a real tool. I charged it this morning, power tool, and then there's this little tool that is barely a screwdriver. If I ask you, if you need to do a job in your house, what, which one would you choose? And likelihood is, you're going to choose the power tool. It's faster, stronger, it's better. Sound like Kanye there for a second. Um, right? You automatically, most of the time, going to choose this. But actually, if you think carefully, while both of these tools are equal, they're both tools, they're actually different function. What if I tell you that you need to unscrew or screw the, your, your glasses? Those of you who have glasses, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're a little screw up right there on the edge that you lose all the time. And what if you use the power drill and go, what would happen to your glasses? brick right what if you use this little screw and go around to our whole thing uh, our whole uh, be careful here. fellowship on screw every single screw there is it will take you what 
days. You see, tools are equal in the sense that they are all tools, but they're different in what? Function. They're different in size. They're different for purpose. Depends what you use. Size doesn't really all matter all that much unless we know what the purpose is for. What we're going to see today is when we look at marriage, when we look at submission, when we look at leadership, equal but different. There are a couple of things I want to lay out for us before we get into the, the passage in First Peter chapter 3 is with these affirmation about who men and women are. We're all made in the image of God. Here's the thing. first thing is that we're all made, we're all made equally in value. We're all made equally in value. See, when, and First Peter chapter 3 verse 7 says this. In the context of submission and leadership, here's what it says. Since they, meaning they, meaning the wives, are heirs with you, the husbands, of the grace of life. They are of equal. The Bible never said, wives submit to husband because you are less, because you're inferior, because you're not as good as husbands. See, we're all made in first, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, we're all, all made in the image of God, male and female. We're equal in value of God because God made us, regardless if you're men or women. We're of equal heirs of the grace of life. But not only that, the Pilate passage tells us in the context of First Peter chapter 3, it tells us that wives be subject to your own husband. Notice what it doesn't say. It does not say women be subject to all men. What Peter is getting at here is going to tell us is that he is talking exclusively in the, in the, in the place of marriage. There are other contexts that uh, women will submit to men, but in this context, it was marriage. So what Peter is saying is not telling us that women, you cannot be leader. In fact, we know that there are some of the greatest leaders in this world are what? Women. He's not saying that you cannot be a boss, a supervisor, you cannot lead ASB, you cannot lead a, a team. All it says is in the context of marriage, wives submit to the husband. So there's nothing wrong with women being leaders, but in the context of marriage, there's something, they're of equal in value, but different in function. Here's the third thing I want to affirm us before we move into uh, to, to, to more in detail in First Peter chapter 3 is First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. He says, show husband, he's speaking to the husband, show one honor to the woman. Here's the dicey word, as the weaker vessel. Is Peter saying that women are just weak? That's why they need to submit. They're weak. He said, what Peter is saying here is not that they're weaker in the sense of they are not as smart. They're not weaker because they're more emotional. Sometimes people look at this verse and say, well, people, uh, women are weaker because they're emotionally more sensitive. But that can actually be a strength. Just because people are more emotionally sensitive does not make them weak. In fact, almost every use of the word vessel in all of Scripture has to do with the physical body. That generally speaking... Women are weaker physically in compared to men. Now, some of you girls are like, no, it's not. And by the way, I see that all the time. Especially my kids are, and, and, you know, they're in early elementary school when girls are developing a lot faster than boys. I see girls kicking their bottom all the time in the court playing sports. They're faster, they're bigger. And they're better at the sports because they're more developed. But by and large, I think we all know that, generally speaking, women are physically weaker than men. 
And that's what Paul is getting. It's not that they're less of a people. They are made equally in value, but different in strength. And so now, here's the last one. That men and women are created different in roles. Many times when we think of the word submit and lead, we think automatic lead is so much stronger. Submit must be weaker, must be worse. So we are made equally in value, but different in roles. Let, let's think of think of an example here. For uh, if you play in a, a basketball game, there's a referee. You are a player. A referee in that context has power over you because what? They can blow the whistle on you. So, for example, if my kid is a referee, I'm playing in a game, they has the, he has the power to blow the whistle and call fouls on me. But out of that context, when we're at home, when my son is misbehaving, is he still the authority over me? No, not necessarily. And in fact, when you look at, the, uh, look at our God in the Bible, we believe that God is three in one. The term that was used not in the Bible, but the term used to describe that is the word Trinity. Three persons in one God, and yet Jesus repeatedly on earth said, he submit to the will of the Father. So does that mean Jesus is less than of God? No, we believe that God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are equal, yet Jesus said, I submit to him. So being submitting to someone does not make someone less, but it's just as simply different in roles and function. Equal in essence, different in roles. So I want to lay that out because that's going to help us to understand what Peter is saying here. Because Peter come up really quickly and says in verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The word likewise, you remember two weeks ago we were talking about submission, submission and the governing as a civil authority in our world and government. We're talking about submission as slaves to a master in a workplace, in our school. And Peter said, continuing that thought of submission, wives now be submissive to the husband. And he's speaking directly to Christian wives. Because the verse tells us, right, that even if some, some of your husbands do not obey the word, even if some of them are not Christians, they're not followers of Jesus, you still need to be subjecting yourself, you need to be submitting to them. Just like we were submitting in Peter's time, they're submitting to authority that's persecuting them. Servants are submitting to masters who are unfair to them, unjust to them. And for wives, sometimes, even for non, if you happen to have a non-believing husband, but you came to know Christ later, you still need to are called to be submitting to your husband. So how do we submit to why, 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 why submission? You see, the picture of marriage was never about us. Just like the government, just like the master-slave relationship, as we have seen, authority was given in the context to reflect God. God's character. God is our human institution made by God. When we think of marriage, many times we think of romance. We think, I love this guy, this guy loves me, and so marriage is all about us. But actually, when you look at Scripture, if you go to Ephesians 5 later on today or this week, you see marriage is the best picture to describe God's love for the world. God's love for us as people of God. See, marriage was not meant to just show that I love my wife and my wife loves me. It shows a, bit, a bigger picture. And therefore, submission is how God described and ordered that human institution set up by God in marriage. 
And Peter tells us that submission is the way, but before he goes there and how we submit, uh, for, how we submit as wives, he actually talks about how not to win our husbands. The key word there is this, and you go back to verse 1, Peter, uh, Peter says this, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, how can a wife win over a husband? The verse says, not by word, but by conduct. A wife is not to win their husband by what they say, particularly their non-believers, is by how they live. That their life should shout the gospel louder so that they can see and hear the gospel in there with their ears. That we are to shout the gospel loudly to them, not just with words, but also with actions, with, with, with the way we live. Peter talks about the first thing is how not to do this. Peter says this in verse 2, uh, verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on the gold jewelry or clothing you wear. Peter said the way to win your husband, wives, is not to dress up nicely. It's not to focus on the outside beauty. But here's, here's the thing. Things haven't changed all that much, right? In Peter's time, even up to now, we are continually buying into the lies of sin. That the world defines women by how they look. We continue, for, for many of, of girls in this world, we continue to bind that lie literally with money because we spend money in our clothes, we spend money in our makeup, we spend money in, in our dresses, we spend, spend money in how we do our hair. And we also pay, uh, buy into that lie literally, figuratively. I mean, just scroll through your, your, your Instagram feed. How we stand, how we take that picture. How can I get the most likes? Every, every, every celebrity posts something up on there, not likely already filtered. But we see, the world see, external beauty to define, to objectify women. And Peter said, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, that is no, not the way to win your husband. But Peter is not saying that there's anything wrong with buying new clothes. Like, not everyone has to come in smelly. Not come in, like, there's nothing wrong with doing makeup. There's nothing wrong with shopping. But the focus is where it matters the most. Peter said, do not let your adorning be external, but instead of what? Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight, is very precious. See, Peter is getting at the heart and the focus. Let me ask you girls for a second. Do you care more about how other people look at you? Or do you care more about how God looks at you? Do you care how people, how you walk out to school, how you walk to work, how they perceive you on the outside? Or do you care about how God sees you on the inside? Which, by the way, leads to how people see you on the inside. Let me give you a question to, 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 to find out the answer. Ask this question tomorrow morning when you wake up, before you head out to do whatever you, you're going to do. Most of you have a break, Thanksgiving break. Do you spend more time getting ready, putting on makeup, dressing up, choosing clothes? Do you spend more time in the bathroom and in your bedroom? How much time do you take? Why do you spend so much time on that? Now, add that time to how much time do you spend on shopping? How much time do you go online to look for clothes, look for person, look for all sorts of things? 
Again, I'm not saying that, and nor does Peter saying that there's anything wrong with that. But if your focus is to win somebody else's attention, then you're missing the whole point of what Peter is saying. Peter is saying your focus needs to be winning your husband and your wives is to win him by who you are and the inside, that what is going on inside of your, the hidden person of your heart actually matters. And I love how Peter showed the gospel in this because the key word, the imperishable beauty. Imperishable. If you said in chapter 1, chapter 2, there is an, there is, that's how resurrection matters in our gospel. Because your beauty is perishable. My Lack of beauty is also perishable. How we look is perishable. Your life is perishable. But because of Jesus, we get to have a resurrection that actually has something imperishable, that will never fade, that will never go away, that will never die. Our body will end. And regardless of how beautiful you think you are, you will never win against time. By the way, I'll give you a dating tip, uh, girls. Not that you're asking for one from me, but I'll give it to you anyway for free. Don't try to win a guy by how you look. Because if the guy can be won by how you look, he cannot be kept by how you look in the future. You will never win against time. No product, no, no surgery, nothing in this world will keep you the same way you look today and, to, and, and 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now. And what Peter is saying, there is a, 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 a innate a beauty, an imperishable beauty that is within you that is not by how you, how, what you put on and how you dress and what kind of things you put on yourself. But that beauty is characterized by godly character. Look at that, what that character is. That character is a gentle and quiet spirit. That wives or women and sisters in Christ, your life ought your heart not to be characterized by gentle, quiet spirit. But before you say, wait, I'm really loud. That must not be me. That means I cannot be quiet and gentle spirit. That is not what Peter is getting. Peter is not getting of a personality, but Peter is getting a character. It is not saying that if you are by nature more, uh, more, more, more outgoing, that you like to talk, that you can never become holy. You can never be precious in God's sight. What he's saying is this, that gentle quietness is how you react, how you respond to people. Are you the type of people with the character to build up people? Are you the people that tear down people? Are you going to be the wives if you're not wives now or those of you who are wives? Are you the wives that, that, that support and care for your husbands? Or are you the one that tear him down, that you dress, undress him in front of other people with your words? A gentle and quiet spirit does not mean you talk more, you talk less. It's how you use the word. Remember when we look at submission earlier. When Jesus was reviled with Jesus, Jesus was, was flogged. He did not threaten. He did not lie. He did not exaggerate. But he responded in words that are honoring to God. That is what gentle, quiet spirit is about. That you are not using your words in a way that tear down your husband, tear down another person. And interestingly, Peter chose and gave us an example of what that gentle and quiet spirit is. Because when you look at the passage, you continue to say, he gives us an example in verse 
Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands, here's the example, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I don't know about you, how much you know about the Bible. If you don't know, go ahead and read Genesis. A good portion of Genesis is about Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was a wife of Abraham. If you don't know the story, Abraham and Sarah tried to have a kid for a long time. It wasn't until that he was, she was 99 that she got, a, she got a son. And so they wanted a son. And, and in, if you read the story, it's really interesting how Peter chose Sarah. Because Sarah was not exactly the personality-wise quiet and gentle spirit. If you, if you don't remember, sorry, Sarah was the one who couldn't get a kid. And so she, she decided, you know what she did? She said, why don't you, Abraham, go sleep with my servant? I can't give you a kid. Let's find somebody else to give you a kid. That is not gentle and quiet spirit. That is setting up your husband for failure. Sarah was the one who laughed when, it was, when she found out that, oh, we're going to have a kid. God said, God said I'm going to give you a, a son. And Sarah laughed. Again, that is not quiet and gentle spirit. But why on earth did Peter use her as an example? Most people, when they look at this passage, the first thought they have was the two incidents involving Sarah obeying Abraham. Both instances goes the same way. Abraham and Sarah visited a foreign country, and there was a king, and Abraham being a chicken, that he was afraid for his own safety, not to do that, husbands and guys, decided to push her wife and say, she is my sister, which is also true, that why don't you take her? Essentially, he said, just take my wife and lied about it. And said, not telling the king that that's my wife. And for most people, when they look at this passage, wow, Sarah is such a great woman, obey Abraham and allow Abraham to manipulate her so now, see, that's the examples that you women and wives need to follow. But I want to suggest that that is not what, while we don't know exactly which story that he was talking referring to, that is not one that is referring to. Because submission was never just to do whatever you are told to do in sin. Because you see, there is a chance that when Abraham lied about Sarah, Sarah could have had a kid with the king. Both instances. And you remember Jesus was the lineage out of Abraham. So Abraham and Sarah could have easily uh, thought what God was doing to bring about the Redeemer. So this is not an excuse. Submission is never, listen carefully, especially guys. Submission is never an excuse for abuse. It's never an excuse to ask your future wives, your current wives, to do something that is directly in sin against what God has called you to do. So I certainly do not think that this is what Peter was referring to. But what is Peter referring to? I think the clue comes right here. If you go to verse, uh, at the end of verse 6, it says that we're supposed to, uh, wives, you're supposed to follow Sarah. And it says, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Do you know what Sarah was most frightened about in her life? For the longest period of time, she was frightened she could not have a kid. And if you know the story well, in Genesis chapter 22, 
God asked Abraham to bring the very son that Sarah was praying for, the very son that Abraham was hoping for. And God asked Abraham to offer up that son, to bring him up to be what? The sacrifice. Now, most of the time when we talk about that story, we don't talk about Sarah because we think of Abraham having so much faith and trusting God. But let me ask you a question. If you were Sarah, that was the son that you've longed for many, many years. That was the son that you treasured. That was the gift from God. And now if Abraham come home and say, guess what God told me? God told me to bring that son up to the mountain and we're going to sacrifice him. Will you be the wife that has the gentle and quiet spirit in entrusting the Lord? That's what God has called Abraham, your husband, to do. See, submission is never, ever just doing whatever your husband tells you to do. Ultimately, submission, true submission, is trusting God with your husband with the assumption that he is not sinning against God. That's what submission, let me run it by you to you. Submission is trusting God with the decisions that your husband made, assuming that it doesn't contradict the word of God, the, the law of God. And if you're a wife, if you're a sister, if you're a future wife, one day you're going to ask, that cannot possibly be true because my husband will wreck our lives if I trust him with a decision. And yet that is what God called you to trust. Because earlier in chapter 2, remember? When we're reviled, when we're when suffering, Peter told the slaves and the, and the servants to do this, to entrust themselves to him who judges justly. Submission means you're going to trust God with your husband. You're not trusting him directly. You're trusting God. And you're trusting that God will hold your husband accountable. I like it. I like how one preacher pushed it this way. I put it this way. He said that spiritual submission, very graphic way actually, spiritual submission is God telling the woman to duck so that he can punch the man. Spiritual submission a lot of times means that you are submitting to God so that God can do a work in your husband's life, in your future husband's life. Because that is always, that's always, that's the truth for many of us guys. We're never growing out of our adolescence. We continue to live behind leadership that God has called us to do. Because if, if there's a chance that we need to lead, if there's a woman standing there to lead, we would gladly give the leadership to them. And yet God not only called a woman to submit, but God called men to lead. So sisters, wives, I want to encourage you, create a vacuum of, to, for your husbands, future husbands to lead. And sometimes that's hard because that will require you to trust God, that God knows what he's doing with your husband, with your future husband. One of the ways I want to give you an example, one of the ways why my wife does that with me, is that I naturally do not take initiative in leading my family. One particular I don't is I don't really think a lot about vacation for, for our family. Because naturally, I am just a workaholic. And so one of the ways that my wife does in a very gracious way in submitting to me is not to go sign up this vacation and say, Ben, we're going here. In fact, the way my wife submits to me is she actually looks up all these options of vacation. And then she comes to me and says, Ben, 
Which one do you think you want? Which one do you want to take our family on? Which vacation do you think is good for our family? She is in some way submitting to me, but she's creating a vacuum for me to lead where I'm weakest at in my leadership in our family. See, that's how God has called women to submit, and brothers, husbands, we are called to lead. So I want to encourage you, for many of you, I know, again, there are maybe four, four or five of you that are wives here. For the rest of you who are not wives, learn submission and authority now. You will not all of a sudden get married the next day after your wedding. You will all of a sudden become very submissive and learning what's submissive and trusting the Lord with your future husband. Unless you start practicing authority, uh, submission right now in those authorities that God has placed in your life. Here's another thing for those of you who are sisters and wives, or future wives. Invest, dress up your inner beauty. And I mean, I don't mean it in an offensive way. Please understand, I love you. But invest time in your inner beauty. Spend more time with women of faith, women of of devotion, so that you can grow in what a woman of character is like. Spend more time in your devotion. Spend more time in, in your time in prayer instead of browsing online. For better clothes, better clothes, better makeup, better whatever. That may make you look beautiful on the outside, but yet on the inside, you're not growing in beauty. Peter didn't stop there. Peter, while well, have given a lot to the wives. Now, guys, if you think that you got out of this clean... Just because Peter gave you one verse, it says this, Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know why the reason why Peter wrote so little to husbands? It's not because as husbands, as guys, we're good. Do you understand this? During Peter's time, Husband had the least to lose. You notice how much he wrote, you're looking about how much he wrote to servants. How much he wrote to wife. See, when those people live by faith and trust in Jesus, there's a lot to lose for them. An unjust master could, could kick out a servant. A husband at the time had the authority and a social structure to, to, to divorce the wife. Husbands have nothing to lose, very little to lose in those days. Which does not mean that we have very little to live up to, because here are a couple of things we see here. Likewise, husbands, we don't submit to our wife, but on the other hand, we lead our wives. Here's the first thing it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wife. What does it mean to live? That means that you never lead independent of your wife. God did not call guys, husbands, future husbands, to lead apart from your wife. You're not leading and say, now whatever I decide, you do. There are very few occasions in our family, as we obey Jesus, that our decision is made solely by me in our marriage. God did not tell men to make decisions, lead apart from one, but you're to live with her with a respectful, understanding, honorable way. You never demand submission. Look at the text. It says, wives, submit to your husband. It never says, husband, demand submission from your wives. Guys, never demand submission. Live such a good life 
So our God-fearing lives are deserving of the submission of your future wives. Or you have wives right now? Your wives. That's speaking directly even to me. That when, as husbands, we're given the authority to lead, what that means is we're to honor. Look at the verse. It says, honor, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. What does it mean to show honor? Showing honor means you recognize the value of your wife. Showing honor means you prefer your wife. That you put your wife above you. Authority in scripture is never to drive people. Authority, leadership in the Bible is always to serve people. And there's no greater way for us as guys, as husbands, to exercise our authority as husbands, future husbands, than to prefer and to serve the need of our wives. Let me give you some examples. Prefer my wives a lot of times looks like this. When we go out to eat, I quite honestly don't care what we eat because I'm not picky at all. Not that my wife is picky, but there are things that she doesn't like to eat. So preferring my wife, honoring my wife means that whatever you choose, I'm okay with that. If you like to eat Chinese, we can go Chinese. You go to American, we can go American. You choose. Leading my family means I'm going to let my kids choose. Even though there may be some preference in my heart, I don't want to go to plantation for the seventh time this week. But it's okay. I love you. I serve you. You see, that's, how, that's what it means to prefer. Preferring, honoring your, your wives, honoring your future wife means this. That you let them have the, have, have the choice. You let them to do, to do what they prefer to do. And putting yourself down so that you can serve them. Here's one, one thing I want us to walk away with, guys. is this, Spiritual leadership is not a license to do what you want. Spiritual leadership is never a license to do what you want, but empowerment to do what you ought to do. See, when you lead as husbands, it's God empowering you to do what he called you to do. Let me share this story and I'll end. I will give surrender a thousand times to the decision of my wife so that I can speak authoritatively, lovingly, serving our family well in in all the right ones. What do I mean by that? There are very few things that I I, I have preference to. There are very few things that I kind of quote-unquote put my foot down, but there are one instance in our family Many of you may have heard of this, that before we came to FCPCSGV, we were actually thinking to be missionaries in Malaysia. We got, went through the process. We were in, in, in talking to the group that we're serving, we will be serving at with. We talked to our parents. We were, uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child. And every single thing felt like God was calling us to go. In fact, I know that my wife, all growing up, she always wanted, felt called to be missionaries. Since she was young. But as we prayed, as we kind of coming to the, to the final step of that process, somehow the Lord just never laid upon my heart to say yes to that. And it was not because missionary was any less. It was not missionary. It was like not good work. And we saw the need for that ministry. But the Lord sought a closed door in my heart. And all the while, I knew that my wife really wanted to go. I know that that was her passion. That was something she, she felt burdened to go. And we needed to have a conversation that says, hey, honey, I don't think that's where God's leading us. There can be a thousand reasons why I can give her. But I know that that was just, God just did not lead. Even we went through all those crying nights, talking to our parents, to our our relatives, and, and all those things. 
So you know what, what she does? She submitted to my authority as a husband. She entrusted herself to God that I will answer to God. What I sense God is calling us as a family to do. You see, brothers, husbands, future husbands, you only get that authority, exercise that authority when you are willing to surrender all those decisions, that preferences that you have, so that you have the authority, exercise, and the right ones and the important ones. To serve your family, to serve your wife. I want to give you the statistics. Can you put it on the screen? I don't think I need to convince you that marriage is on decline. One of the best ways we as Christians can shine for Jesus is to win in our marriage. I say this from the bottom of my heart. That we need a new generation of families to win the world for Christ. We need a new generation of marriages to win the world for Christ. Because for many of you, you are on the receiving end of what a marriage, a broken marriage is like. You are on the receiving end of what a separated parents are like. And think about this. Almost 50 in California, 60% of marriage do not make it. 60% of marriage ended up in divorce. First marriage, 40%. Second marriage, meaning that after the divorce, they got married again. You would think that they learned their lesson. They learned how to be better husbands and wife. And guess what? The percentage went up to 60%. And you think you didn't give it a third try, they would get better at it. Guess what? The percentage go up even higher. 73% of people who had third marriage ended up in divorce. See, if we, I'm convinced that if we can see Jesus winning in our marriage, and for many of you, you're not there. If you as husbands and future husbands and future wives are, are living in marriage the way God has intended to do, if we win in our marriage, the world will see Jesus actually is real. Because there are way too many examples of how Jesus was not real in marriages in today's world, including in Christian households. So I'm preaching this message from a place where hopefully 10, 15, 20, I don't know, some of you 30 years later, that when you are husbands and wives, that we need a generation of husbands and wives that glorify and shine for Jesus. Wives submitting and trusting yourself to God and with your husband, and husband leading and serving and honoring your wives in, in such a way that, that submission is no longer a burden but a blessing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this text, Lord. I know, Lord, this is far and removed from many of us sitting here. But Spirit of God, I ask that you will penetrate deep in the heart. Would you hang this word of yours from 1 Peter chapter 3 in a special place in our heart? So that at the right time, that you will bring to mind, to our attention. How we ought to live as wives in submitting to our husband, and husband in honoring and serving and leading our wives. Lord, we pray. We're very particularly for our country. As many of us sitting here, we may have experienced the pain on, the, on, on a marriage that is not honoring to you. But Lord, we come to you because we know that nothing is impossible for you. That you are God of redemption. 
that though we may experience the pain, the, 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 the pain out of these, these marriages, Lord, nothing is unredeemable by you. Because you died on a cross, your blood is shed so that there will be renewal, there will be restoration for us. So, Lord, I pray over every person here, whether, God, you call them to be married or not in the future. I pray especially those whom you call to be married and those of us who are married. May the Spirit of God teach us every single day to live for you in our marriage. God, help us to love you so we can learn to love one another. I pray for the sisters among us. I pray for the wives among us. Lord, give them faith and trust themselves to you and entrust their husband to you. Help them to be gentle and quiet and supportive and caring. And speak up the way they need, especially for guys we need it, Lord. And pray for those who are our brothers among us, who are husbands among us. God, teach us how to lead better. The way you've led us. Lord, help us to be shining examples of how the grace and love of our Lord Jesus is upon us. Thank you for your word. As we sang earlier, Lord, there's nothing we can do in our own. That the power comes from you because all we have, all we have is Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.